Welcome to Subscribing to Wellness, the show where Rachel Newman and myself, Daniel Fairman, sit down with leading founders, executives, and investors committed to building a healthier future for consumers. Today on Subscribing to Wellness, we are joined by founder and CEO of Muala, Jeff Richards. Jeff started Muala in 2016 after leaving the investment banking world and seeing a gap in the clean label plant-based milk space. Muala is a dairy-free, organic plant-based beverage company most famous for pioneering banana milk, also offering almond and oat, as well as dairy-free creamers and the line of keto milks. Muala is now in over 6,000 retail stores nationwide and has seen accelerated growth with launching their shelf-stable line. Jeff, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Rachel. I'm excited. For our listeners out there, I'd love for you to tell us who you are and a little bit about your background. I was born in New Orleans, and so technically I'm a Cajun, but my parents quickly moved to Houston six months later. I grew up in Houston, went to uh, Baylor and Waco, and started my career in banking in Dallas. Graduated from Baylor in 2007, finished up in, in banking in you know 2016, and, and launched my company, Muala, shortly thereafter. So we got to the name. What is Muala, and, and where did the name come from? Yeah, so it's... Probably a name that can be confusing to some people because there's three vowels in it, M-O-O-A-L-A, if I have to spell that one more time. If I had a dime for every time I spelled it, I'd be a rich man. So essentially, it's one of the things where I, I wrote down, the company produces plant-based milk. And so, you know, moo for cow and Allah, I wrote down like a bunch of different things like almonds, cows, milk, moo, you know, trying to think of some words to add together. And, and literally, it's the combination of Allah is like Allah mode and, and Moo is cow and, and koalas are plant-based creatures. And so my buddy, Zach Stanky, and I had the idea to put spots on a koala to make it kind of a half cow, half koala. And so he's a plant-based creature, but he makes plant-based milk. So kind of a stupid story that originated after a, a couple of beers here in Dallas at Katie Trail Ice House. But, you know, we, I love Teddy Grahams. And so the idea was to make him look like the chocolate chip Teddy Graham. And it was a lot of fun creating it and really is the heart and soul behind the brand. We had the Mual logo before we had even a real concept for what the brand would be. I love that. I want to go back just a little bit because you mentioned your investment banking experience. So a lot of investors think it's super easy to transition to operators and they learn very quickly how hard and different that role is. You've been able to do it, it looks like seamlessly and very quickly. Can you just like give a little insight into how you feel like you were able to do it and what that transition was like? Yeah, it's really different. I feel like finance and investment banking is highly structured. And so, you know, all the companies that we'd work with would be different, but really the recipe for evaluating the company and the opportunity and the metrics and the financials and the risks and the rewards was pretty uniform. And so that's obviously not the case when you step outside and start running a company. There's no guardrails, really, so to speak of, besides common sense and just your prior knowledge of things. And sometimes common sense doesn't take you that far. And so the biggest change would be, there's never really a clear answer on a lot of things when you're starting up. It's a lot of educated guesses. And so that's terrifying because there's so many you know important educated guesses that you're making and to come from a, a business like you know banking where there's a degree of certainty there's an answer there's 
you know, there's guardrails, there's things that you know are supposed to happen to execute on a certain transaction, whatever it is, that just don't exist in, you know, when you're starting your own business. I will say what that background helped me to do was when you're an analyst in iBanking, you're working tremendous hours and you're expected to do very well, perform very well, even at, you know, two in the morning. And so you learn that you can take on a lot more than you thought you could. It felt almost like pledgeship uh, in a way where it's just like, how much can you take on? And you're surprised at what you're able to do. And so that ability to like, like, Hey, I can handle this. You know, I've seen tougher things before was certainly helpful just mentally for, you know, the number of hurdles that would be encountered starting a business. What do you think was one of the hardest things that you encountered early on when starting Nuala? Finding a co-packer. And so we don't manufacture our own equipment, our, our own product, meaning we don't like have the actual facility that produces the product. We contract with a third party. The equipment is very expensive to make plant-based beverages because it has to be basically run on sterile equipment. And the sterilization process and the equipment that's contained in that is millions and millions and millions of dollars. And so um, there's only a handful of co-packers in the U.S. that can actually do that sort of processing. And none of them want to work with startups. <laughs> and so I quickly found out that I had a great idea and a great logo and a great name and a great concept, but no one, my biggest sell job was not to the customer, it was to the vendor, somebody to help us make the product. And so I Googled the same keywords. There's keywords like aseptic filling, cold fill filling in the US for like two years. It took, it took two and a half, three years to find a co-packer while I was still at my day job. And Finally, searching the same set of keywords, a new one popped up uh, and I called them and they were so new. They're like, yeah, we're willing to work with you if you, you know, come rent out the plant for half a day. And that was the green light to get in. But that took a long time just because this isn't like making peanut butter where you can just go do it in your garage. You've got to have really awesome equipment and it's expensive and significant barrier to entry. Yeah, we hear that a lot. I think finding in your case, finding a co-packer, but then as companies grow and scale, finding the best co-packer that fits their needs and, and whatever restrictions or limits is always a challenge for emerging brands. So why plant-based milk? Were you vegan? Did you not drink milk? Why plant-based milk? I was doing CrossFit for call it a year and a half or so. And almond milk wasn't really a thing until 2011, 2012, soy milk had kind of dominated the plant-based landscape from a milk perspective leading up to that time. And so CrossFit really pushes, or at least when I did it, they were really pushing a paleo diet and really centered around dairy-free and almond milk. And that's when I was introduced to almond milk. And the options on the shelf were like almond milk, but not really. It's like water, a little bit of almonds and a bunch of other stuff. And so I started making my own almond milk at home. And around the same time, I had some industry research for my, for my job that said that almond milk was the fastest growing beverage nationwide that year, including soda, sparkling water, anything else. It went from like zero to half a billion dollars in revenue. And I've always had the entrepreneurial itch. My parents made me take a, a, a very long aptitude test when I was in college and didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up. And the number one answer spit back out at me was entrepreneur which was very frustrating for my family because that was saying, you figure it out. We don't know. We don't know what you're supposed to be. I think number two was like com comedian and then musician was number three. And so we're like, crap. But then like 
finance was number four. So I went that, went that route initially. But anyway, so I've always just known like I wanted to be an entrepreneur and I was like, wow, this is a growing market. It's huge. And so it's an entrepreneur's fallacy, but you, you start thinking, if I can just get like 5% of the market, that's a half billion dollar market. That could be a big business. So that's the direction from which it spawned was taking what I was making at home in the kitchen and figuring out a way to, to scale it up. So digging a little bit into Muala as a brand. So you guys are very unique in that you have banana milk, not only almond milk and oat milk. Mm-hmm. Why banana and how did you come about that? Can you give us a little story about that? Totally. So I think banana milk would not exist if I had launched the product line when I wanted to. So 2012 is when the concept came about and I thought almond milk would be a good idea. Created the logo, some of the packaging, and then it took forever to find the co-packer, like I mentioned. And during that time, almond milk grew and more competitors entered the landscape. My initial idea was just to get a brand out there that was clean label, but we realized the real opportunity was in order. So that's how we positioned the brand is to make it organic. But banana milk came about because there were other almond milk brands. I was thinking, well, what's something that could be next? What is the almond milk is the equity story. What is the equity story to the equity story? It's a like little bit of extra juice for something that's new and unique. And most importantly, hypoallergenic. So soy is a big you know, allergen. There's a lot of negative stuff about soy in general. Almonds are a nut, a tree nut. It's a big allergen. Dairy milk is a big allergen. And so banana milk, bananas are hypoallergenic. They're obviously dairy-free and and less expensive, importantly, than, than almonds. Almonds are, especially organic almonds, are very expensive. And so the thought was to have a, a little bit higher margin item that no one else has. Americans love bananas. It's the number one item that's bought in grocery stores is the banana. But banana flavors are really hard to do. No one likes, most people don't like you know, banana flavored stuff like banana candy is gross. It always has a nasal. It's just doesn't taste like bananas. It's like hard to enjoy banana flavors, but we knew if we could get like the formulation, right. That banana milk, so many people love bananas. That could be a really interesting idea. And so we launched that alongside an original and vanilla bean almond milk. And the entire line was organic because that was an underserved niche So you mentioned this organic stamp of approval, and I didn't realize this, how rare it is for alt milks to be organic. Why is it that that's so hard for alt protein milks to be organic? Cost is a huge barrier. So just on the supply side, it's, you know, organic almonds are five bucks a pound. And just to put that in perspective, organic bananas are 50 cents a pound. And that's probably on the extreme low end, that's cheaper than sugar on a pound basis. So, but organic in general just commands a very healthy premium and anything plant-based is already going to probably be a premium product just because it's new and uses better quality ingredients. And so when you're on the dairy shelf, it's a very competitive spot in the grocery store consumers expect dairy products to be inexpensive. And that's something that dates back to hundred years ago when grocers would put milk at the back of the store where it still is today and mark it way down and make people walk through the store to come get the dairy milk. And a lot of shoppers would shop based on the price of milk. And so that's kind of that thought process of milk is cheap. It continues to be kind of at the forefront of consumers' mind. Consumers are willing to pay $7 for a cup of coffee but expect, you know, a gallon of liquid at the grocery store to be $2, you know, so that's kind of the mindset we're, we're dealing with. And so cost is big. And then also, I think on the consumer side, there's just a general 
thought that if it's plant-based, it's healthy. And so for us, that's become a big marketing opportunity where we can start to point out the differences between organic and conventional. For instance, almonds are the number one user of pesticides in the U.S., and so it can be plant-based, but are you trading, you know, if you're switching away from dairy milk and trying to get healthier, are you switching from organic dairy milk to something that's sprayed heavily with pesticides? Maybe that's not the right trade. Maybe you're switching from one thing that's not great to something else that's not great. And so I think it's a consumer education thing. We're like, hey, just because you're drinking almond milk doesn't mean it's necessarily, you know, better for you. There's an opportunity to, you know, actually eliminate incremental bad stuff from, from your diet. Yeah, that makes so much sense. I think a lot of people automatically gravitate towards certain things based on one stamp of approval or not. I think organic has that connotation as well, but you don't really see it a lot in the milk space. As you mentioned, like you, you just go for your milk. It's not like organic milk or not. So Muala has their banana milk, almond, and you also have oat and your keto lines as well as creamers. Can you just tell us a little bit about these different product lines and how they differentiate themselves? Sure. Yeah. So organic is a big piece of that. And just broadly speaking, if you look at dairy, depending on the actual category, you can say that roughly 10% of cow milk purchases are organic. And so that's the opportunity that we see in plant-based. It's much, much lower in plant-based. It's just a couple of percent, if that, in the organic space. And so since the plant-based shopper tends to be a more health-focused consumer, we think that organic is a really nice selling point for those people that you know really isn't a point of emphasis today. So that's really where we focus with our almond milk is not just clean label, but also it's organic. We use in our original recipe, we use organic almonds and organic honey, a little bit of sea salt. And that's about it. And then in the vanilla bean skew, we have real vanilla beans, organic vanilla flavor. So really a clean level, clean label experience, but we try to get the price right. And so this is a big deal. And I'm speaking across the entire product line. But if you look at some of the competitors in the organic almond milk space specifically, they're going to charge six, seven bucks for a small bottle of almond milk. And that's something that's going to work great in the natural channel and the whole foods and sprouts et cetera, the world where people are willing to pay. That's not going to work in, in Safeway and in, in Wegmans and in Publix, et cetera. There's a price ceiling for what people are willing to pay. And so we've really targeted kind of the $4.99 and below price point that allows us to have the majority of our business kind of in the non-natural, more nationwide grocery you know, focus. And that's been our point of one of our points of differentiation is what we call it's premium product at an affordable price. And that's true across all of our product lines. And so if you look at banana milk, that continues to be completely unique to us. It's a made up thing. There's obviously like one of the popular comments we get on social media is you can't milk bananas. We're like, yes, we know. And so it's, it's a made up, it's a made up product. Banana milk is all one word. So we're not saying it's dairy milk that has bananas in it, but it's really, it's differentiated us a lot. And it's hard to rip off because it's a made up thing. It's bananas, sunflower seeds, cinnamon, no sugar added. It's just kind of a formulation that we, you know, is part of our IP that you can't, you, I don't think you'd want to private label it. It's our number one product. It's it's synonymous with Muala. If you ask somebody in industry, what does Muala do? Oh, they're, they're the banana milk guys. And so we've been, really, been able to really leverage that and 
you know, some other competitors have entered the space and done banana almond milk and just hasn't done super well. And so we've been lucky to own. It's a niche space that we're growing, but we've been able to own that. And on the oat milk side, oat milk is obviously super hot. It's, <laughs> I was laughing because Oatly took out a Super Bowl ad last year and Shabani took out a Super Bowl ad this year. And that's what we're up against. Little Muala is going up against base milk companies that are taking out Super Bowl ads. And so we've been patient on the oat milk side because there are so many new people, so many brands getting into it. And we, again, want to be the affordable organic brand in oat milk. But there's so much competition right now. We're waiting for the big guys to duke it out a little bit before we really say, okay, now it's time to the organic upgrade because there's just so much noise in the category. And so we have oat milk and we it, it's a great business for us, but we are much more focused on growing banana milk because it's so unique to us and has been such a great volume driver for us. Plant-based creamers, it's, it's again, it's, it's organic. We were the first to market with an organic plant-based creamer and it's just delicious and awesome. We have cool flavors like oats and cream and we leverage to help play on the oat milk trend. We have banana nut creamer, which is amazing in coffee. It makes your coffee taste like banana nut bread and that's just super unique to us. And then of course you have to do vanilla. And so we have a really awesome vanilla skew and have recently launched all these on Amazon. That's awesome. I want to take one step back into to the pipeline of products. You do also have a keto line and I'm not under, 100% sure what makes a milk like keto. Yeah. So the keto diet is first and foremost, it's low carb focus. And so certainly sugar is a difficult thing to consume when you're on the keto diet. And so we made sure that there is less than one grams of carbs, less than one grams of sugar. We used a really rich base of coconut cream. And so it's a good way to eat healthy fats. And we additionally add MCTs, five grams of MCTs per serving just to help. That's a, essentially a superfood in the keto world, really high quality fat that helps give you energy and brain health and all those sorts of good things. And so that's been a really fun one for us to launch because keto continues to be a really you know interesting trend. But more than that, like keto can probably scare some people away if they don't understand it. But really, keto is a really efficient way of saying low carb essentially. And so it's not just for the keto consumer. It's really good for anybody who's wants a low carb diet or, and we have cool flavors like uh, cinnamon roll and chocolate chip and keto tends to key on indulgence. So it's a good way to get a good in, indulgent product without having to blow out your keto diet. Totally. Yeah. I saw you guys have the chocolate chip cookie one. So fun. So you guys have shown your ability to like really pivot and react quickly to the market. I think we saw this really efficiently with your oat milk. Like you guys came out with your oat milk creamer as soon as oat milk was like hitting the shelves and super popular. I'm curious what trends you're seeing now and what's in the pipeline for Muala coming up next. Yeah. So the thing I'm most excited about right now is our shelf stable product line, which has been really great for my wife and I, because we load up, <laughs> we, we are, we are Muala believers at the house. And so as opposed to having to cart home refrigerated items once a week, we just keep a couple of six packs of the almond milk and, and creamer in our apartment. So shelf stable is something that really started to take off during COVID. I think there's been a greater consumer understanding that just because the item arrives in a package that's not refrigerated doesn't mean it's a different product. And so it really has to do with the packaging of the product. So the Tetra pack that we use is what is the brand of packaging. It has, it's a sterile package. 
and it has light barriers and oxygen barriers. And so when the liquid actually is filled on the production line, it's the same exact recipe, but it is completely sterile, which just means it's a scary word, but it, it just means that there's nothing in the product that could possibly grow. So there's no mold, there's no anything, all the things that you would deal with, like if you take a gallon of milk, there's a reason it has a shelf life. It's because there's things living in there. It's not things living in the package that can one day spoil. And so you got to refrigerate it, maybe last 20 days. And so in shelf stable, it's a, it's a sterile filling system. And so there's nothing in there that could grow. As long as that package is sealed, you could go, you know, throw it in the trunk of your car for five years and it, it, maybe the ingredients would start to separate or like there'd be some stuff happening in the package, but it would still be healthy to consume. And so during COVID people realized like, Hey, just cause it's not refrigerated. They're having things shipped to their house. Doesn't mean it's different. And so we're seeing that same consumer mindset translate into the grocery store where we essentially have a second opportunity to sell the same products to a different consumer that shops in the dry section of the grocery store instead of the refrigerated section of the grocery store. And so we've been able to leverage all of our existing recipes, which is awesome just from a cost savings on an R&D standpoint to essentially cross sell. And then also opens up the e-commerce channel for us. And we're expecting big things from that, that the shelf stable category with our products this year. That's so exciting. I think people have this connotation that shelf stable, as you mentioned, is either unhealthier, or it's filled with stabilizers a lot of times mm -hmm. to make sure that you can consume it. But a lot of times, I mean, you see, we see Elmhurst, which is a milk brand, and they're like a totally clean label, and mm -hmm. they are mainly a shelf stable brand. And I think we're seeing more and more of that in the category. I wanted to just touch a little bit on your competitors, since you're really only the only one, as you mentioned, doing the banana milk. However, the alt milk space is growing. Who do you guys like see as your main competitors and how do you see yourselves differentiating? Yeah. So we're in this interesting phase with the brand where we are still considerably smaller than some of the larger players like Calafia and Ripple, certainly Silk and Blue Diamond. Those are some of the category leaders. And so we're kind of targeting them for growth. That's the market share we're going after but also playing defense on some smaller brands. And some of the smaller brands I had referenced before are the ones that do the smaller size at a high price. And so we play, and we, and they are smaller than we are. So we operate in this middle area where we're playing defense on kind of the up and comers. We're also playing offense on brands that are much larger than ours. And we have a lot of market share available to us that is between us and the next step. And so really, I would say outside of Silk and Blue Diamond, you know, I would throw Oatly in there as well. Those are, those are the leaders. And outside of them, it's just kind of the Wild West. And, you know, we, whether it's, you know, pea milk or almond milk or oat milk or whatever it is, you know, we're all competing for the same grocery space. Yeah, totally. I want to transition into our favorite part of the podcast, which is rapid fire. No pressure. I'm going to throw some questions at you and just hit me with whatever comes to mind in and don't zero pressure. Guilty pleasure. Oh man. I don't know if it's guilty pleasure, but my wife grew up in Romania. And so I love words. I'm a word guy. And, you know, I, I still play words with friends. Maybe that's the guilty pleasure is I still play words with friends with my mom every day, but I am learning Romanian. And so that's been a lot of fun. Duolingo is an awesome app and it's just enough of like a competitive atmosphere where you're linked, you know, to other users and you can see how other people are, how much they're learning versus how, what you're learning. And, you know, again, maybe not a guilty pleasure, but I'm just thinking of like a 
uh, a hobby that consumes my time right now. And that's been a lot of fun. That is so cool. I also still play Words with Friends, so uh, <laughs> you should not be embarrassed by that. It's one of the best apps. I think it came back during COVID, you know, when people were like trying to connect over yeah. not Zoom. Wellness trend that you're excited about right now? I think plant-based meat is very exciting. You know, I think Beyond Meat and uh, Impossible, you know, initially had a ton of success. And now it's like, where are they? Is this scalable? Is it growing? And I, what we're starting to see is some impossible and beyond aren't necessarily good for you. There's still some things in there that like aren't great, like soy and some binders and things that, you know, is plant-based meat 1.0 or 1.5 or 2.0. I think plant-based meat 3.0 is going to be really exciting. There's a brand I, I work with that's focused kind of almost exclusively on the private label side, but they have a much better ingredient profile. It, it doesn't have as much sodium. There aren't some of the binders in there that you don't want. There's no soy in it. And I think plant-based meat 3.0, where all of a sudden everybody's like, wait a minute, this is you know, it's plant-based, but it's still garbage. I think plant-based meat 3.0, where the quality is a little bit better, a little bit more like meat versus the kind of 2.0. And then actually decent ingredients where you're not trading. Again, beef, good job not eating beef, but why are you still putting these other things in your body? Um, is kind of the question right now. And I think plant-based meat 3.0 will be pretty exciting. Totally. We love that space. I love that space. Other, another like space that I particularly am interested in is the like flexitarian approach too. So Misfits, which is now Phil's Finest and Seymour's, which they're like doing half meat, half vegetables. So you're still incorporating the meat, but at a lower amount and instead filling the remaining with vegetables, which I think huh. you know, is that in between to get consumers to reframe how they view meat is super interesting. Banana. I also just want to give it, give a shout out to Waterloo and Spindrift. I, I oh. mean, like, like sparkling water has like changed my life. It's Waterloo is awesome for flavor. And I recently happened upon Spindrift and it's like, Sparkling water with a little bit of actually like real lemon, like who'd, who'd have thought? I, I freaking love it. And I've got a real problem. They put them in an eight pack, which is genius because then you're buying so much more. And I think, I don't know, I, I would say it's a trend. Sparkling water is growing like crazy. And so that's, I'm an active participant in the sparkling water trend for sure. I'm addicted to Spindrift. What's your favorite flavor? Lemon, man. I, oh, I just, have you tried blackberry? Yeah. I'm not. <laughs> oh boy. You got to try blackberry. Banana, oat, or almond milk? Banana. We make oatmeal at our house and that put it in like, we use it in Kodiak cakes. The, the, they have this blueberry, blueberry muffin oatmeal type thing. You put a little bit of banana milk in there and it's just freaking awesome. Love that. So we like to ask all of our guests what it means to them to subscribe to wellness. So how do you subscribe to wellness and what exactly does that mean to you? I think moderation is the word that comes to mind. I'm not a health obsessive person. There are probably times in my life when I have been, but I think there is just some freedom that comes with moderation and watching what you eat, but not being obsessive on it and treating yourself every now and then. And, and then also moderate exercise. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not in the gym every day, but I think moderate exercise is good. So I think moderation is the theme. That is... One word that I would love to, yeah, totally agree on all that. Where can our listeners learn more about Muala? Yeah, um, muala.com. Again, it's there's three vowels in there. So it's M-O-O-A-L-A. 
shelfstock.com. And we've got awesome information on there. And we're always running specials on our shelf stable stuff, which is just like what you would buy in the refrigerated section at the grocery store. But yeah, muala.com, the marketing team here has done an awesome job filling that out with all sorts of recipes and, and background information on the products and all that. So definitely a, a great resource. We also have a TikTok. We we invested in a full-size like koala, muala koala mascot outfit. And we were we just started, we probably have like three, four, five hundred followers, something like that. But the content is amazing. We have an ex cheerleader who gets in the Mualik mascot costume and there's hilarious. It's like, I don't have any part in it. And so whenever I like see that we have a new TikTok, I'm rolling laughing and it takes a lot to like get me laughing pretty hard. And so we're doing a great job on TikTok. And I think it's just a matter of time before that catches on. I mentioned, this is really stupid. I mentioned Duolingo earlier, but they have this mascot, you should follow them on TikTok. I don't even have TikTok, but I steal the, the marketing people's phone every now and then. And they use a mascot too. And like, for some reason, like the mascot thing on TikTok is just hilarious. It's these overstuffed creatures like going and doing stupid stuff. And it's like our koala like goes and slaps milk out of people's hands at grocery stores. It's just hilarious. So it's worth a look. I will be doing that after this episode. <laughs> Please do. Jeff, thank you so much for taking the time. It was great to chat today. Hey, great to chat. Rachel, thanks for having me and good luck finishing up at Wharton. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thanks everyone for listening to today's episode. Feel free to rate, review, and share the podcast. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to Wellness. If you'd like to sponsor us, please see the supporter link in our podcast bio. We hope everyone has a great rest of week filled with wellness, and we'll see you next time.